Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I will be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Laurie Haynes. He is a devoted father, successful entrepreneur and passionate mental health advocate who uses his ever-growing big social presence, experiences and knowledge to help guide, support and encourage others. With a personal background that includes an extremely challenging childhood and a long journey of personal growth, Laurie has become a strong voice for mental health awareness. He's also a mental health charity ambassador for Nakoa and his positive attitude and hard-working nature makes him a valuable guest on this show. I really hope you enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Hello, Laurie. Welcome to One for the Road. It's so lovely to have you on as a guest today, mate. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, Dave, and thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Absolute pleasure. And we've had the brilliant news that you've been nominated as a ambassador for Nakoa now and you're doing amazing work with them. How's that going? Do you know what? It's been literally so amazing, Dave. Like I've enjoyed every part of it because for me, being able to uh share my story and help other people, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. And just doing it through Nakoa is like it was like a dream come true for me. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I spoke at one of their last events and the empowerment of the room and the people in there and just delivering my story. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I couldn't sleep that night because I was so hyped and full of endorphins and dopamine. And um, yeah, there's a lot of good things in the future that I've got planned with them guys. And yeah, um, it was just a yeah, really exciting time. Uh, they're an absolutely fantastic organisation. And I've done a bit for them myself. I was at Parliament with them recently and met um another ambassador vicky patterson and yeah all the others that were involved there and it's like a big family honestly it's fantastic so welcome on board there um, Thank you, mate. so again mate laurie um as in my podcast we like to hear a story your life story and it's a, a fascinating one and we like to strip it back mate all the way to the beginning so i think we, I heard you on a, yeah, I heard you on another uh, interview and you said you don't really remember before you were 10 years old. But in this pre chat, you said you remember being seven, eight and started getting in trouble at school and that. So should we start there? Yeah, let's, let's, let's start there. I mean, it's that, that number could be six, seven or eight. I mean, it's very blurred and it's distorted for me. Um, a lot of my childhood. Um, and I don't know whether to say unfortunately or fortunately, maybe I don't remember it for a good reason or maybe, you know, um, you know, the bad side of things. So yeah, I mean, seven, eight years old, junior school, sort of all coming back to me just as our little pre-chat and now. So I was very, uh, I was a very outgoing person and you could say clown of the class. I heard that phrase many times. 
And at the time, I didn't really know why I would be disobedient, why um, I didn't want to behave, why rules were such a hard thing for me to to grasp. And it's only because of the last few years of my life and doing sort of extensive therapy and really sort of doing my own due diligence and really educating myself, I can probably tell you now why I was that way. And that would have been probably because of the lack of the lack of love, the lack of attention that I received as a child. And, you know, a lot of it stemmed from alcohol and alcoholism. So it's, I can't, you know, put my finger in and say that was the direct thing of while I was a misbehaved child. But I was that kid that was always on a report card. I'd always get put in detention. And it's actually coming back to me now. I would only be allowed in the school three days a week, not five. I would have to have my mother come in one day a week and sit in the lessons with me. I would be pulled out certain times in the day. They noticed a pattern that from the afternoon, from about one o'clock, I couldn't focus or function. And I'd be put into a separate room with a wonderful woman. And I remember her like yesterday. And now talking about it, it's sort of, it's really sort of coming to the front of my mind now. And she would always bring me little sweets and little, little, uh, juice drinks. And we'd sit in there and we'd do art. She would do things with me that I enjoyed. And if that didn't happen and when it didn't, or if she was off and I would be sort of kept in the mainstream, classrooms and schedule as such i would misbehave and that could be anything dave of throwing rubbers telling the teacher to f off walking out of the classroom and maybe it was because i wanted attention from those guys for them to ask me what the problem was because i would never be that person to just walk in school and go to a friend or a teacher hey i feel this way because maybe this at home as a child, you don't really understand that. And when it's all you know, it generally is all you know. So yes, you might feel this energy inside and feel this difference that something's not quite right. But unless you sat down with three, five, ten of your friends and everybody discussed openly, like, hey, when I get home, my mum does my homework with me. My dad plays games. They read me books. Unless you, you know, sort of go through that, you don't actually quite understand what is what what reality should be. Yeah. And obviously we can only ever make reality of what we know it and all try our best as individuals and humans. So but what I did know was a lot of my friends always had the best clothes, the best sort of the newest stuff. The uniforms wouldn't have to carry through to the following year. And they would go to fun things, whether it be a birthday party. I mean, I went to birthday parties, don't get me wrong, but it would be my friends. And I'd always get embarrassed when people would ask me, when's, when's your birthday? Because I felt like they would be thinking, well, you've been in the same school for the last three, four, five years. We've never been to one of your birthday parties. Little things like that would resonate with me and, and, and make me feel a bit, a bit alienated. And even just sort of like, you know, open up about it, about it now. I, I have trigger points when certain situations would arise around that the feeling of being left out or the feeling of not having enough or being enough and it can sometimes trigger me but obviously I know what's happening but I'm still feeling the emotion maybe I react different not maybe I I definitely react different I don't tell people to just f off and you know start throwing rubbers in the round in the street but 
you know, and pens and pencils at people. But I do have those trigger things still. And, 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 and these things do sort of set off within me. And it all stems back from being that age. And it, from probably age around eight, nine, ten, you know, w- w- within that remit, I remember, you know, like not having enough money to take to school to be able to uh buy certain foods and we would have to use the the uh yellow ticket i think it was yellow orange for pack lunch but pack lunch wasn't totally free basically from what i remember you your parents would pay the school the three pound a day or whatever it was two pound and then they would get a uh, documentation you'd claim it back through the government through your um whatever these these these, these help schemes are called so um, that's sort of what I think it would have been, but there'll be many times where I don't know if it was due to laziness, forgetfulness, or just generally they're not having the money to pay them days. I wouldn't get my yellow ticket and my car and my school dinner. And the teachers always knew me because I would say a bit of a face inverted comments, right? I was always the naughty boy, but always the funny, the chappy lad that knew everyone in this school. I, I hung around with every different group of guys there. Um, I've always been very controversial. And the when I wouldn't get lunch, I, I always remember like the manager, the senior management who would always stand in the corner like this and looking around to make sure no one was being sort of naughty as such. They would spot it and come over and be like, come to the reception. And then the reception would always whiz me up a yellow card and I would get my lunch. And I don't know if my mum reimbursed them. I don't know if they had conversations. I don't know what happened after that, right? Now as a parent, I start thinking about these things. But back then... I couldn't tell you who paid for it or what happened. But I always felt that sense of people felt guilty. And it would even be to sort of my mum's friends. They would take their kids shopping. And I remember one specific time when she bought me a pair of trainers. Now, I don't know if it was because she was flush at the time and she just thought, I'll get him a pair because he's a great kid. Or maybe because I had holes in them or, you know, they just weren't up to scratch um how you know how fashion follows a trend so you know I, I had troubles the whole way through school that went from junior school um all the way through to uh senior school then throughout my senior school days I went to three different senior schools one being because I had to move in with my biological father who I didn't know growing up and the second time being because the school basically gave no automation they said you know uh he needs to leave or we're going to kick him out. So do it on your own accord. So that's why they moved me score again. And then thirdly, I did get kicked out of that school. And I went to a thing called um, Spinnaker Unit, which is the, the, I'm from Portsmouth and they've got a big Spinnaker Tower. It's quite a, uh, a representation of the town. Everybody knows it. It's, you know, it's their claim to fame. So Spinnaker Unit. And this was basically, uh, the naughty cattle of Portsmouth. Everyone, every every down and out, as the people would say, uh, would be chucked in there. And as as much as they would all try their best to educate us and to sort of steer us on the right path, this is the place where a lot of people would go to juvenile, young offenders. People would be taking drugs every day. Uh, there'd be fights every day. There would be. It was wasn't a very nice place. Um, as much as the teachers tried their best and I built relationships with the teachers there but again I was troubled but that place sort of helped me because I was not as bad as these other kids because I always had this deep inner feeling buried within me that I wanted to be successful in life but not successful to have 
what I was never shown, but to be successful, to ram it down the throats of those that didn't believe in me and those that caused so, such injustice, right? So I knew there was something there, but you know, I couldn't have put my finger in it and said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I want to do this. I want to do that. That was never really there. It was just this feeling that I wasn't the same as these guys. And, you know, I would probably back then more have been on the, on, on the level of, Oh, well, they're so naughty. I'm not like them. They're going jail. I'm not like them. You know, I had some boundaries as such. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was sort of the end of my, my schooling days i left school at 14 probably year nine slash year 10 so two three years or so before everyone else um didn't have any gcses um the last thing i tried to take some sort of tests for art uh and i ended up setting a piece of paper on fire an airplane and i threw it down the art corridor and it set the building on fire so didn't really get on well towards the end of it Ivan, and I, I left with nothing really no gcses and that's one of my biggest regrets dave now in life is i'm quite say literate that maths i can do it standing on my head upside down no problem english is taking me many years to try and learn even to pronounce words correctly bigger words to speak properly spelling i've got no chance without you know keyboards on my phone and whatnot yeah on my social posts i always spell things wrong and i always get pulled up and people think i think they just sort of accept it now they know you spell it wrong again i do it all the time i rip vlog yesterday and rip f-l-o-g instead of v-l-o-g but these are all things you can sort it sounds actually very similar to my story i was a cheeky tappy i was in all their school plays uh, and the headmistress there she absolutely loved me so if i was ever hoiked into our office by my ear hole (laughs) <laughs> she would go, oh, God, you're here again, and kind of give me a gentle tap on the wrist and boot me out again, you know. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested in, like, when you say, like, attention-seeking, what what was going on in indoors for you? So, do you know what? Just to touch base on that with the head teacher, it, when you say that, it now brings back a memory for me, but I couldn't have said if you didn't say that. It, you know, I don't know where it's buried in my mind, and... It's. I would always sit in the head teachers and the assistant head teachers and the managerial's office, and now I'm asking myself right here, live now, did they let me sit in there and do my work rather than send me home because they knew home wasn't a place that I needed to be and wanted to be? Mm. No, I don't know. I, I, I'd love to have a conversation with my my old teachers, and maybe that's something that I can do in the in the near or distant future maybe i can have a conversation and reach out to them guys and just ask them you know what was i truly like and what was your true opinion of me back then as a child because why didn't they always send me home i got excluded many times but there'd be so many times they would give me special treatment i'm talking fruit juices and little sweets and they'd put me in a corner of a room and say you can work here don't worry why did they do that because they knew i was troubled is it because they didn't want to send me home i don't know so that's something I need to write down and, and really sort of do some investigation on because I didn't even think about that, you know. So what was it like at home? Look, life was okay at home at the start, Dave, from what I knew it to be, right? My mum wasn't this monster. She was a lovely person. She always cooked. We always had dinners. She always tried her best. Now, look, on the scale of a hierarchy, someone doing their best versus the neighbour or someone else's mum doing their best, there's always going to be a difference, Yeah. So trying to differentiate between, you know, 
what is someone's best and what could have been their best if they eliminated certain things and did certain things in life to help you know that's where 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 my lack of enthusiasm towards the efforts that was given by my parents because i am a parent and i've come through, through and from a shit storm and i'm here today and i i've done you know what i've done and i'm here still pushing hard no matter what and there's many things that I could write on a thousand whiteboards that would have a big no-no and a cross next bit because that's not how you should treat or how you should act in front of or how an environment should be built around any child, right? Especially your own and someone that you're supposed to love deeply. Now, yes, people are uneducated and yes, there's lack of knowledge and yes, times have changed from the 70s, 80s and I was a 90s child and I get, you know, in my mother's defense, I get she didn't have things great. She was sexually assaulted. She didn't have a, didn't know who her dad was. She was always palmed off with money by my nan. My nan wasn't rich, but she was always a little bit flush and would always give my mum five pounds to just disappear. And would always spend a lot of time in the pubs because we grew up in a Navy town and majority of males were alcohol, alcoholics or, you know, deeply alcohol, alcohol infused. So my mum's got her own story and, you know, it's not really for me to tell. But I want to tell it a little part of it because, you know, regardless of my relationship with my mother now, um, you know, you know, we don't really speak. And we, we spoke recently due to me speaking at the Nakoa event and some recent podcasts that I've released little bits of my story. Because, as I said, there's not enough time to go too deep. And um, I found it quite difficult to talk about certain things and you know as time goes on i will i will release as much as i can and today i want to give everything that i've got for this and so i said to my mum you know she was still quite in denial of certain things and I, and i had to have a call with her and explain and she broke down and cried on the phone to me and she was like i didn't realize i didn't and look, i know there's no rule book dave i know there's no fucking rule book to being a parent and i know there's no rule book to life and social media wasn't about back then as much as social media has ruined a lot of people and things and it's continuously punching through many many wars and there's big problems with it aside to that growing up you know like things weren't as easy accessible for my parents to look at and go what is right or wrong you only knew what you were shown by your parents and of that you know scientifically any human can't remember really more than 40 to 60 percent of any any occasion you know it's always going to change and and you know there wasn't therapy's always been there but it wasn't a thing back there mental health what was that you go out to the pub and have a beer when you're 15 that's what it was when in the 90s and the 80s and you might know more about that as well and so i'm not going to blame my mum you know i forgive the situation i'm not saying i forgive her but i forgive the situation because in order for me to move forward i had to forgive the situation and try and remove my emotional attachment to it because in order for me to move on as a parent and as a better human being i knew that i had to give forgiveness and forgiveness is a, a very high frequency to 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 be at as alongside gratitude and that's why i'm always very grateful for what i've been through because it's given me extensive knowledge and the foundations of who i am now like it, it it's molded me into the person that i am and and perhaps that's why i am I'm going to say such a great, but such a brilliant, whatever parent, or I give my utmost best as a parent. Yeah. And I will continue to strive and work on myself to be a great parent because 
I don't want my children to experience that. I want them to be able to come to me with anything that they have a problem with. And if they say, you don't give me enough cuddles, I'm going to cuddle them and squeeze them every night. Like I need to know, you know, as, as a human, sometimes we're quite arrogant to situations and, you know, sometimes our reality is perceived by what only we believe it to be. And, you know, sometimes it does take that external voice from a loved one to say, Hey, you haven't read me a book the last three days because you've been doing calls or dad, you were quite stressed. Like what's going on? Like, you know, it does take those conversations and I'm not going to sit here and say it does take them. I do have them conversations, whether it be with my, my beautiful fiance, Fern, whether it be with my son, who's going to be seven soon, whether it be with my stepdaughter Sunday, who's almost six, obviously not with my new, my latest newborn Finty, cause she's, you know, two and a half months. She can't speak, but sometimes I'm filming things and I've got my phone in my hand and I look at her and she's staring at me and I think, Oh, put it down. Cause she's looking at me and I make sure that. I'm doing a couple of minutes of filming and my phone's going down for hours. She's getting my undivided attention because she is my everything and, my, and she is my world alongside the rest of my family, right? But she needs more of me right now because she's very small, very, very small. And these are the things that I could say I learned from my parents because you didn't teach me directly. I learned these things indirectly, yeah, at force. But sometimes, they many people won't, will only do things at force because – to do things off your own will takes strength and many of us are quite weak, you know, and, and to, and to, 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 to be strong and to, to be a better person, it takes strength and strength sometimes isn't something you just have. You have to build upon with, you know, and be motivated to do it. And, you know, you have to find motivation at the bottom of that barrel as well, which sometimes is very hard, especially, you know, after this call, I'll probably be quite deflated if I'm honest. And, I'm speaking in future tense because I've done podcasts and opened up to a degree, but not as much as I'm going to touch base on in a minute. And I did feel deflated after I sort of went slumped in my chair and I had to take a moment, a few hours. And because it doesn't matter what, what person you are and how strong your mindset may be, which I've got a very strong mindset. It, it doesn't matter how strong my mindset is. Those traumas that created those new neuro pathways in my mind and in my brain, doesn't matter how I rewrite them or how I cover them up or how I smear them or work through them, round them, whatever we want to call it, they're there. And it's the same as, you know, a, a, a song. You might, if I ask you to sing me the lyrics to a song right now, you might be able to sort of remember certain parts of it. But once you listen to it once, it's there. So when I listen, when I'm in a certain situation, which might be 70% not the same as something I've been through before, that 30% can still trigger and bring back something to me. And I know it's happening. I'm quite fortunate that I've really trained and educated myself to know when it's happening. But people that can't afford extensive therapy and haven't had a chance to go, go and do the work that I have, um, or been determined to do the work that I have, wouldn't probably know when them triggers are happening and, and it can go on throughout the rest of their lives, you know, from their teens, late teens, thirties, forties, you know, it doesn't leave. And the older you get the, you know, the brain struggles to absorb and retain information. So it's going to get more difficult for you because you're stuck in your ways analogy is, is, is just a, a few words on what it really represents that, you know, things are harder to remove and change the older you get because your brain, you know, the brain power sort of lessens as such. And especially if you're not in a great place and you don't 
do the things and follow your rituals to keep your mind strong and keep yourself healthy and your brain decreases even further and it's harder. So I don't want to do that in my 35s and 40s and 50s. I'm 32 now, hence I chuck 35 out there because the, 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 the reality of it, alcohol didn't just play a part. It fucking helped sabotage my upbringing. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say there wasn't great times because there was many great times, but the bad times outweigh the good times. And that's what I had to explain to my mum recently. And I've, I'll call her mum on this podcast, but many times I'll use her and reference her by her actual name. Um, but I won't for, you know, for, for public reasons and such. And I'm not going to sit here and, as I said earlier, just absolutely slate her because there was many things she did very well. And she only could use the tools that she had there. But there were many things that she could have done a lot better. And I think she knows that. And this is not me here to hammer her. This is me to tell my story on and the things that I went through. And back being around that age, I already had two father figures by the age of eight to 10. One of the guys I had his last name and I presumed knew that of that he was my dad. And it was only later on down the line I realized it wasn't and my name had to be changed back. So a lot of people from my junior school and infant school um, would ask me, did you used to be this name on Facebook and and even LinkedIn in the recent years? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that that was who I was, who I am. That was my name, whatever way we want to say it. And my name was changed because the guy left. My mum had an affair he left and he took my little brother with him. And my little brother then ended up having a much better life than I did, which I was a little bit resentful for back then because this guy was the guy I presume was my dad. And he was the one that bought me football stickers and Pokemon cards. And he was the one that took us on holiday. And we had an actual house that we had a mortgage on that was our house and it wasn't a council house. And he, you know, gave us the best life. And maybe I don't remember those years because the, 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 the bad stuff has rewritten all of the good years. Maybe they were so good. I don't know why they've been forgotten, but maybe things were great then. I don't really know. And I don't ever get the truth out of my, my mother to a degree because she can't remember so much of it. It was only when I was chucking things out of that I remembered, it came back to her and she started crying. So I then got that instant guilt. Like I remember mum cry on the phone, but I don't even speak to her. Like, And it is her fault, but is it? I don't... And all these mixed emotions, you know, spin in my head. And and this was only recently. And I was sort of saying to her, you know, my brother went with the guy I thought was my dad. You changed my name. It was embarrassing. You didn't have to buy those bottles of wine. Whether it was two bottles of wine a night or one bottle of wine, over a month, that could have been a new pair of trainers for me. I'm not saying I had to have the best trainers, the best of everything, but you could have done more. And... For me, those things would have really helped. And the, the tobacco, the smoking, which runs hand in hand with alcohol and, 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 you know, any drug consumption that runs hand in hand with alcohol and all the other things that surround alcoholism, like the lack of attention, reading me a bedtime story. I do it to my son and, 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 and my kids all the time. And I've always done it as a baby to them. I'd share it with, you know, with, with the other parents, of course. And there would be nights I'd miss it. I'm not going to say it was every night, but we did it awful. We do it awfully a lot. And I didn't get that. Like even a book. And for me, the biggest thing is fight or flight mode comes in my life a lot now. And I had it a lot as a kid. I'd run out of school, jump the gates. I wouldn't go home. I'd go to friends' houses and their parents would probably ring my mum or drop me back. I'd go to my nan and my nan would look after me. And fight or flight 
it's been something that I've carried for all my life. And it's only been the recent few years I've managed to really, you know, control it and wrap it up a little bit because I've walked out of relationships. I've packed my bags on many occasions and just left. I've, I've left businesses. I've done so many things because I've been like, for me, no, don't want to do that. Don't like that. The stress is too much. And no matter how resilient I am because of my upbringing, it was always easier to fly. I would fight first, then I would fly. And I would fly because I would tell myself, this is the best thing. Just leave it behind. You don't need to take these stresses with you. Yeah. But as a kid, you couldn't really leave it behind because where was you going to go to? The only threat that I was ever chucked at was social services. And we had social services come around many, many times over the years, Dave. Many times they would come around, not to the degree to take me away which they did my younger brother, they took him um, and he was placed in care with someone else. And my other brother sort of had to fend for him and supply, you know, food to the people that were looking after him, fund, help fund to look after him. And these are the things that I'd always want to question my mum about and, and say, why? Why would you allow it to get that far? But again, you know, everyone's got their own pain and deepened traumas and that's what it will ever revert back to. So I can only ever hold a certain level of resentment, but also I have to also hold a huge level of understanding as well. And growing up into an adult, like those were my choices to drink alcohol and party three, four days a week and, you know, consume, you know, narcotics. These were on me as an adult because blaming my upbringing, which I did for a few years, meant I was the same as her because I was blaming my upbringing to do the things to try and make my actions now you know, feel like they were okay, but they never were. And I, w- I did get in trouble with the police. Um, I didn't really give a shit about anything or, or even the police themselves. I didn't care about anybody. And, you know, that was because that was what I was shown. Yeah. That was, that was, that was all, all, all I knew things to be. And my family got very broken up at, at a young age day because something traumatic, very traumatic happened to my sister and she, went for a very, very, you know, bad time and and tried committing suicide on many occasions and lots of things. But again, that's her story to tell. But I was kept out of that. I was, it was hidden from me, but I knew. And going through her drawers as a curious kid, um, I found all the paperwork in certain things and I read my way through it. And it was probably one of the worst things I could have done to myself at the time because I now knew what happened to her. And that was difficult. And I'd always question, well, why would my mum be violent towards us and let other men be violent towards us? Knowing what's happened to her, surely you'd be synthetic and, and, and you'd want to not partly blame yourself, but if you were a different parent, maybe that might not have happened to her in such a way because, you know, we'd have had boundaries and we'd have had respect and we'd have had times to come home. Now, I'm talking past the age of 12, 13 here, Dave. As I said before that, it was just the the casual stuff at home, the over drinking, the arguments, the swearing, the violence, the bits and bobs. But there could be two months of absolute heaven, then it could be three days of hell. So my mum would think there's only a few days, only a few arguments. Oh, what we had a punch punch up, whoopee do, who doesn't? That would be a sort of slang towards it. But it was really from the age of thirteen that things really took a sort of spiral downhill, and my real dad come back into my life and. That was quite awkward because she never really introduced me to him properly. She just sort of said, he's meeting you the road behind at this time. Go there. And I remember walking up to a strange man and I said, uh, I think you're my dad. And he sort of laughed it off. Not laughed, but sort of like, no, I don't think I am, buddy. Like, no. Then my dad pulled up minutes later in a van. And as soon as I saw him, I thought, the energy, I knew that was my dad. 
But I gave him a very hard time because he was never there. He blamed my mum. My mum blamed him. And they had a sort of chaotic relationship pre anything I could ever know or imagine. So, you know, I've gone from having the man I thought was my dad who gave us everything that I remember to leaving with my brother to give him a better life but left me behind. My name got changed to then a new man come on the scene who she had an affair with, who she quickly fell pregnant with, who was a lovely guy but then had his flaws. He was a drinker um, who occasionally would give us a a whack. I mean, in the 90s, the teachers even gave you a whack. In the 80s, I think they gave you a whack. But in the 90s, parents giving you a slap seemed to be the norm. So he did that, you know, and could be quite aggressive because he had, again, he had his own problems and he was a drinker. And I'm sat there as this, as a 13, 14 year old with this whirlwind thinking, well, I've now taken this guy into my life and all the attention was probably around the new kid, the new baby, which is my little brother. And, you know, this guy's disappeared. And now you've been introduced to this guy who's my supposed father and you don't like him because of that. And you both got things to say about each other. And my sister refused to speak to him because she's been through an absolute trauma and she blames everyone for it. Um, and quite rightly, she doesn't want to speak to him because he disappeared. And she's like, no, he's not my dad. Fuck him. I don't want to speak to him. So I was like, well, she doesn't want to talk to him. Should I? But then he would give me money. And I'd be like, oh, well, money's money. And then the relationship sort of built. And then I hated my mum. So he was my saving grace. So I then turned to him and we built a relationship. And I would see him go out every weekend and he'd come home sometimes mucked up, blooded up from fights when he'd go out and, you know, they would do whatever with their friends in the kitchen till late evenings when I was still young. And it's all I ever saw and all I ever knew. Um, and if I was ever naughty at home, my mum would be like, oh, fuck off to your dad's then. Oh, go on. You love him now, don't you? Oh, and she would chuck these things at me and make me feel bad. And then I would play up for him. In, and and he would be in a, he was in a relationship with a woman for many years, and I'd play up for her, and I wouldn't listen to them, and because I would always think you do X, Y, and Z, you could afford to buy me some new clothes, but I have to pretend to my friends that I can't go out tonight, that I'm grounded because I have no fucking clothes to wear. I'm embarrassed because of you, so I'd be resentful, and he would always give the stepkids more than he ever gave me, so I wasn't never jealous or resentful to them. I had this rooted you know feeling about him and i'd resent him still and then i'd always chuck it at him oh you was never there anyway and he would say oh that's all you're ever going to use am i ever going to be able to make it up to you and and then we'd have this emotion he would cry i would cry we'd make up and uh, you know and these conversations never took place with my mum and dad in the same room and i felt i feel like that's what would have been needed now i'm too far past it like it it doesn't really matter i i don't want to 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 hear their side of the stories because you know even if they would take deep responsibility their actions would never change towards me and enable us to grow a, a new relationship we can't plant that seed you know and that's that's something i've had to deal with and take on you know my 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 fiance you know fern she's always like why don't you try and start a relationship with her why don't you try and i have tried for the sake of being not the bigger and better person, but always because, you know, what if it could be okay now? What if, you know, I can forgive her rather than forgive the situation? Maybe I can forgive her. And do you know what? But nothing changes. Like if I was, if I put my child through the many things, whether she did it directly or indirectly, yeah, I would jump at the opportunity to make amends of my child and 
not I don't want to say rebuild, start a new relationship. I would be in my car driving there, like I'm coming up. Oh, I'm busy. I don't care. You gave me the opportunity. I'm coming. Like she, 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 she hasn't. And 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 my father, you know, he's got his own life, and he, he's he's just he's had quite a quite a difficult upbringing as well. He didn't know who his dad is, and I remember him when I was around 15, 16, I remember him taking me to someone's house and saying, knock the door and ask if his name's Albert or something. He's like, I think this is my dad. So he was still searching for his dad in his 40s. And I forgot about that until now, Dave. Literally, it's just come to mind now. And I'm like, fucking knocking a random guy's door asking if he's my dad's dad, my granddad. Like, how are things even get into this place? Like, why can't you write him a letter or reach out to him and then introduce me to him if he is the right guy and or give me the opportunity to ask me, do you want to meet your potential granddad? And like, who is my granddad? Who's my dad's dad? Who's my mum's dad? Like, and who were my parents really? Like, why were things the way they were? And, you know, why did I have to take on such a big, huge responsibility at such a young age when I was still, you know, my, my, my cognitively, I was still growing myself. My cognitive functions weren't even correctly in place. Like they were distorted and, and I didn't have an opportunity to, 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 to make those sacrifices to myself. Like it should be on me. If I want to drink or if I want to, if I want to experience trauma, that should be on me as an individual to ask if I want that. It's not your right to give me that. I didn't ask to be brought into this world. You brought me here. So you owe it to me. If you start a business and you've got employees, you've got a corporate responsibility. You have a child. You've got a responsibility, one of the biggest ones you'll ever have in your possession. You should take that in your stride to be the best parent that you can fucking be. And you can't, you can't, you know, I can't express it. You cannot induce such traumatic events on someone and then blame it on your historic past and 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 not even make amends at any given point in 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 the later future because it's it, it's just not it's just not right and you know the more i'm talking about it now dave the more it's unraveling you know i don't even want a relationship with these people because i've always been this big advocate of you know cut those off that don't serve a purpose and cut those off that don't deem to be to warrant to deem to be in your life and and people go it's your mum it's your dad it's your nan it's this but it doesn't matter because I am me and I need to keep myself sane and I need to I need to be able to enjoy what I've grown through not I, I shouldn't have to live and keep going around the block and keep going through that same treacherous tunnel of pain and why should I, I don't deserve that I didn't ask for it so I can cut them off. And if that's my choice, it should be respected by anybody. And, you know, no one's opinion actually really matters when it comes to that subject or topic, because I've tried to reach out for those that ask. And I'm still having this same conversation. You know, this conversation now, Dave, could be about everything that I've been through. And it could be about how we've made amends of it now and how we're working through things together as a family with a therapist, without. But I'm not having that conversation with you right now. Because I haven't spoke to my dad in years and I don't, you know, me and my mum's relationship, I've got a better relationship with the postman when he says hello to me every morning, when he drops my letters in, if I'm, if I'm there and I'm visible. So, you know, the, the, the whole subject is something quite difficult and quite, and, you know, it's quite hard to, to, to really put out there. And, you know, firm would always say, well, maybe you need to sit in a room and talk with your mum. Maybe the tears will come out because you don't cry. And something that really actually quite hurt me was 
Sunday, my stepdaughter said to me, Loza, I don't ever see you cry. I cry all the time, don't I? But you don't. And I didn't know what to say because men can cry. And I've always been a big, you know, a big pusher to, to, to that story that anyone can cry, right? And especially men, you know, I think it's, it's, it's essential that men reach out and speak the truth and speak deeply about their emotions. And that's why I do these calls because I want people to be able to speak out. But if I can't cry, how can I be expected to? I still feel pain, but I, I don't know how to, I don't know. And, you know, I've, I've had psychologists, I've had, I've had hypnotherapy many times and they've helped with a lot of things. They've helped rewrite a lot of my neuro pathways as I touched base on earlier. But no matter, no matter what, as I, as I said about the music and the lyrics, they're still going to be there. You, you can only write new, new neuro pathways. You, you can create new foundations and, and you can do new things and, and you can learn how to manage the outcome of any trigger. But, I can't remove it from my brain. Maybe in 20 years, there might be a special machine that they create that can do it. But as as of right now, it's still there. And that's something I have to live with because of actions taken by those that were supposed to have loved me or loved me and at no fault of my own. And that's something quite hard, hard to grasp, really. Do you know what, Laurie? I've listened to you now for half an hour and I haven't said a word because your story, you're so emotionally intelligent. Honestly, I could listen to you all day. Thanks. And, and I think your mum and your dad haven't been prepared to do the work, any work. Yeah. Um, you've broken the mould because you've done plenty of therapy. You've looked inside yourself um, and worked out many things to do with your childhood and where you are now. And I totally respect what you've said about cutting them out i've had a similar situation in my life with family and i had to make the decision to cut the ties there and it was painful for me Mm. but i've got to think about how that relationship was serving me and how it would serve me in the future as well and it wasn't so i've had to remove that relationship from my life for me to move forward um and regarding the crying as well i can really relate to that and I think it's because you've been a survivor all your life. You've had to survive with very little love in the beginning, right? And you've, you've survived many traumas as well. And you, you become the survivor. You, you're the practical person that's moving forward using all the tools you know. Um, and I don't know if you relate, but some things come up in my life that will cut catch me on the hop and i'll actually feel really emotional it could be a line in a film or oh mate that yes that would be the last time i had a bit of a tear and films are you crying i was like i think a little bit i think there could be something there like yeah yeah Yeah. but when it comes to me i always look at it as a practical right i've had to do that for this reason right but it could be a line or a song or something like that. And and all of a sudden it's like I can't breathe it, like it comes up in my throat. And and it will blindside me as well. And then it makes me think, why am I crying about this bit in the song and I'm not crying about all the things that's happened in my life? Do you know what? There's been one occasion, Dave, that really choked me up and I did I did have tears in my eyes, and it was actually caught on the on the um, our family show. And when I first was placed into the public eye, 
someone sold a story on me sniffing um, substances and I was trolled badly. People telling me, oh, you're no good for fern. You're this, you're that. People writing those things and this and sniffed and just abusing me nonstop, right? Tr- you know, trolls in the in the thousands, right? Which seems like a lot when it's flooding in, right? You know, if you put it into comparison of someone speaking to you rudely in a shop can upset your day. Imagine being, you know, trolled for for probably three to six weeks on average. And the reality to that story was I was in one of the worst places of my life. Yes, I was going to the gym. I looked good. Yes, I was out partying. Things seemed great. But mentally, I wanted to commit suicide so many times. I ordered the rope off of uh, Amazon. I, I was like, tonight's the night I'm going to do it. But then I actually had a good night that night. And I was like, I'm not going to do it, which was lucky for me because it was a bad night. I wouldn't be here to speak to you today. And when I, when them stories broke and, and, and I just, I'm not even allowed to respond in certain ways because it has to be controlled by lawyers and, and agents and stuff. And I wasn't really allowed to give my actual whole story. And, and, and until now, and that was really heartbreaking for me because I was like, someone sold a story for a couple of thousand about me at my worst time when I wanted to sniff my brains out, I wanted to die. And you think it's okay to sell it. And then the press think it's okay to ruin my life of what I've changed it to be all this time later. No one wants their past trucks in their face from a previous mistake. And when the historical things pop up and, and, and it hits you, it's like, see you later evolution. See you later. The the bright future. Cause today you're getting smashed with this hammer and, and, no one realized how hard it, and I'm not going to sit and play a violin and, and, and go into this victim mentality because I am a survivor, Dave, like you touch base on and, and I'll always survive. But it was a hard time because I felt guilty on the, 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 the shit I brought to the front door of the person I loved, Fern. And, you know, my, my children's names, they're in the press next to me that I've, I've almost slandered their name. I know it's many years later, probably won't even be seen, but whatever. It's just slandered their names next to mine. And I was, just being a human being making a mistake that I couldn't even think about now. Like for me now, I couldn't touch anything that makes me feel sick. But then I I needed that, not as an addict, but I needed that because life weren't great. And the only thing that kept me going was getting drunk and, and getting those endorphins and, and those dopamine hits. Without those dopamine and endorphins, like my life wasn't great, even though it was amazing from the outside perspective. I had the best cars, Bentleys, Ferraris, watches, partying with girls, champagne, you name it. It seems like, you know, Dan Blazarian's lifestyle, but I hated it, but it, it wasn't why I enjoyed. And when that happened, like, again, that's another trauma that I've induced later on in life, which all stems back to the upbringing, because if my upbringing wasn't a certain way, I wouldn't have been a certain person. And, you know, I take great responsibility for my actions. As I said earlier, I'm not going to just say, well, I did that because of that. You know, if someone slaps you, it doesn't mean you can hit them back. That's not the way the world works in the eyes of the law either. But certain things that are buried deep within you are hard to just shake off. And and, and, and I went through a terrible time. I went through a, real, a realization and a reality check that I'm in this world on my own now. Yeah, I've got a son who's got a brilliant mother and stepfather, and I embrace that whole situation. I I stayed away from him. I'd see him once a week, sometimes every two weeks, because I didn't want to be around him because I didn't like the person that I was. And those guys knew it and I knew it. And it, it wasn't a great it wasn't a great time. And and 
it, it, but it took that to happen. These events had to happen for me to really say no more. Enough is enough. And and I had to go to therapy to work on the situations that were at hand. But it wasn't about what was at hand. It was about what took place many, many moons ago that come to light. And that's why, you know, certain things happened. And that's, you know, and that's that's why I chose and make the I made the choice to really work on myself and sit on YouTube and watch for hours and hours how the brain works and why things happen the way they do and how to stop this and do that. And I spent thousands on therapy because I'm fortunate enough to be able to, to, to be able to afford it financially. And, but I had to, I, I would have made sacrifices. I'd rather have, of, 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 you know, cut out takeaways and clothes and this and that just to be able to afford therapy because therapy is the next thing since sliced bread as the old analogy would go. 100% mate and you know like when I work with my clients I always try and get to what's underneath the drinking so where you were saying about numbing out there'd be a lot of people on here that relate to that it's like you know like I can't like the overthinking and the noise in your head and the, the anxiety and the pressure I need to self-medicate to get it out so it's about getting behind that what's behind the reason for doing that and sometimes it's childhood trauma like yourself. Yeah. Quite often there's big T's, little T's. Um, it, it's coping mechanisms. And sometimes people can't cope financially, romantically. You know, they might be in a job they hate um, and in a marriage they, that's not succeeding. There's so many different things that can happen while we self-medicate. And until you get beneath that, you can't just stop drinking because that's the act of stopping drinking. You need to process why mm. you are drinking. And then yeah. that's what the work, where the work comes in. And that's what you've done with your life. And, you know, that's why you should be so proud of yourself where you broke in the mold because a lot of people go on to do the repeated behavior like your mum and dad have, where your dad didn't know who his dad was. You know, repeat, repeat, repeat. But you've put, the block in the way and going, do you know what? I'm not going to live like that. And I'm going to be a different parent to my kids. And and things are going to be different for me as well. You know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's, it, it, that's my primary focus. Like I won't allow my kids to, to experience what I did. And I will try my best to be the best parent that I possibly can. And, you know, and, 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 that brings me to sort of where I am now, Dave, in, in in life, and that's why I've sort of as as a person, and and even in you know in my career, my business, I've I've moved away from any businesses that I was doing that didn't serve me purpose, regardless of the income, because I wanted to strip right back. I wanted to peel the onion right back and say to myself, happiness is just a destination that you can that you can that you can you can reach, but you have to leave. Right? It's not it's not it's not something that's going to be there forever, and. I needed something that was that was more fulfilling. I needed fulfillment because for me, fulfillment is a lot bigger than happiness. And I needed purpose. Purpose plus fulfillment equal equals happiness, essentially. And I needed that fulfillment. And for me, it was had to be something that I was passionate about. And I've done quite a few courses now within the mental health industry. Um, and I'm currently doing some of neuroscience in in early years for up to two years, and you know, mental health in the workplace, and, and many other things that I've uh past recently which has been an achievement for me as well that narrow my linkedin so i i put a lot of my time and effort and a lot of my pain into into my my recent project which is called shara which is a mental health and well-being platform and all the tools that i used over the last 
four or five years extensively are in there. And that's sort of why I built it because there isn't a great help out there, Dave. And if you don't have the finances, you're screwed really. Like, because watching YouTube to educate was difficult, but it run parallel to my therapy and, and it run parallel to the inner me, which is a survivor and a fighter. So, you know, if you don't have that fight in you and if, if you don't have the compassion and stuff, then, you know, you're not going to self-educate or, or self-medicate. So where do you start? It's a vicious cycle. You know, it, it's, it's where do you start first? It's the chicken and the egg scenario. And, and no one, you know, it's very, it's very, very difficult. And that's why I want to build this platform to make it accessible to anybody, anywhere. You can use it anywhere you want. Um, and the price tier is so low because we want to be able to, to, to make it accessible to anybody, no matter your circumstances. And, and that, that's what I'm currently doing now. So yeah. So, so that's my current project. It's called Shara. Um, and that's what I put all my effort into and every new feature, every new update upgrade that costs me money, you know, cause we're, we, we, we run at a loss cause we're a startup. I do these things because I'm like, Oh my God, that will help this. That will save that. And I've saved lives personally myself. I've had people reach out and I've talked them out of suicide. And for me, that's massive. That goes a long way. And by finding my purpose and fulfillment, that's my fuel. That's what drives me. And if I wasn't helping people through Shara, or regardless of my my business and, and what I'm doing there, if I wasn't helping people through Nakoa, if I wasn't helping people through my Instagram platform, which I don't have to do, I do it because I want to. If I was just running my marketing company or one of my other very successful companies that I've had, I've just been sitting there like this every day doing the same thing, which never was bringing me joy. Would I slip back off again? Would, would, would times got difficult at home or at any place? Would I just start partying again? That's the question I've always got to ask myself, like, what would happen if you weren't doing these things? And that's why I, I will keep doing it. And I have to do it. I have to have to be in the mental health industry. I have to help people. And, you know, the only way I can help myself digest it as well is the greater power, whether it's God of your religious, the universe, you know, whatever, which one helps you through life is it put me through those situations to make me the man that I am today, because Within the next three to five years, Shiraz is going to be so big and widely spread and accessible to anybody that has a digital device. I was put on this planet to experience the traumas, to know what tools were needed to help build a platform, to serve the purpose, to give it to those people that need it in their hand. And that will be my legacy. And I want to work towards a legacy because without the termination of a legacy and without determination to be someone great i don't know what i live for apart from from my children and if i can't be the best role model to them what am i living for so for me you know that is how i peel back the onion and how i structure my life and that's why i get up at 5am and that's why i do the things that i do and that's why i put myself through more stress to learn and educate myself because as you said self-medication is something that you know, medication you don't take once. Maybe you can take a paracetamol and get rid of a headache once, but medication you have to on, it's ongoing. And, and, you know, whether that's physical, virtual or, or medication, you have to keep going with it. And that's why I, I, I strive to, to push this legacy because I, I need to, my, my traumas weren't for nothing. They weren't for nothing. I, I can't allow that to be. I, I get you, mate. Um, I was drinking for 40 years 
Wow. By me, yeah, 40 years. And in the end, I was uh, drinking a litre of vodka a day. Wow. You know, so I'm lucky to be here. And most yeah. of my uh, listeners know this story, so I won't go on about it. But, yeah. my, you know, you're your own legacy, by the way, mate. I can't believe you're 32 the way you speak. You're amazing. <laughs> I mean it. I've loved this last hour. I really have. Um, and, you know, for me, telling my story helps other people in the same state as I was in to look I was 54 when I stopped drinking right five years ago and so my my story is like you're never too old to change your life so when I hear about your mum and your dad you know they're doing no self-development and they're stuck in their ways and this is it and whatever it's like do you know what I don't want that to be the story for others I want it to be look I am the example of someone who's an older man yeah has stopped drinking after 40 years and my life has totally changed since then. I'm unrecognisable. You know, uh, as I said to you, I'm going to Nepal. So by the, by the time this is aired, I might have done it. <laughs> um, in May, I climbed Mount Tupacow in Morocco. And it's not all about climbing mountains. No, but about, I love that. Yeah. Love it's about that. getting up in the morning. Like, you get up at five, I get up at five. But not by choice. It's when I wake up naturally. And I wake up within five minutes, I feel excited about the day. I'm not waking up going, do you know what? What have I said to them? What What have I done? You know. And so I've got a whole new breath of life in me. That's amazing. That is literally amazing, Dave. And do you know what? I can't wait until I wake up at five and feel happy about it. I wake up at five because I have to and I hold myself accountable and responsible for my own actions and I have to. I don't enjoy it. I get in a cold shower straight away when I wake up and I don't like it. I don't enjoy it, but I have to. And I enjoy it after when you feel fresh and awake. But I do many things I don't enjoy because I have to. Well, I can tell you now, I don't get in the cold shower, mate. (laughs) 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 But, Laurie, honestly, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. It's incredibly brave of you, and you should be really proud of yourself. And I'm sure in the future we will meet because I go to Nakara events, and I'm going to give you a big old hug, mate. Yes, I can't Um, wait for that. Maybe I'll see you at Parliament. I think I'm going to be speaking there for the guys like you have. That's something for me would be something I'd love to do. Well, Let's hope so. And I know there's an event early next year as well. So I'll see you there. But in the meantime, I really appreciate you joining me today. Thanks for joining me, mate. And have a great week. You're more than welcome. Thank you, Dave. And go safe on them mountains, yeah? I want to see you back in one piece. Yeah, thanks, mate. (laughs) Fly the flag high. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon, and you can also follow me on Instagram, at SoberDave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening, and have a great week.